Welcome to Heroic Hearts Podcast, where we will explore the heroic journeys of St. Joan of Arc and St. Therese of Lisieux to heal, inspire, and re-enchant our own hearts. Hello, hello, all you heroic hearts out there. Thanks for joining us again. This is Amy Chase, and I'm here with my co-host, Walter Emerson. Hey, Walter. Hi, Amy. How are you today? Awesome. Doing so good. And here we are once more for another exciting episode about the life of St. Therese and just learning from her experiences, her life in the convent and what that could actually mean for us living in, you know, the 21st century. Well, she is, you know, she's in the convent. She has what appears to be a quiet life, and yet she's one of the most famous and beloved saints of all time. So there's something to be drawn out of that, for sure. (laughs) Well, before we get into that, let's talk about, let's share our enchanting moments. And um, I have one. I have one. (laughs) Please share. (laughs) Usually I'm trying to push that off on you first. No, I I have an enchanting moment because I want all the listeners to know that my wife Josie and I went to the place where we pick up our packages and we had a delightful package oh. from, from Amy Chase, who had who had returned from her pilgrimage in France and visiting the footsteps of uh, Joan of Arc and went to Dom Remy. And so did we ever have a fun time opening the package Aww. and we had a rosary <laughs> and some pictures and a rock from her garden and we had all kinds of things. And and uh, that was definitely an enchanting moment to get a little bit of Dome Remy uh, and Joan of Arc through the mail. So thank you very much, um, uh, oh, Amy, for so, that. <laughs> you're that was so my welcome. enchanting moment. Oh, good. Well, I'm really, I'm delighted that that I was able to give you an enchanting moment. And really, my intent was to share with you a little bit of that enchantment that I had experienced on my pilgrimage. So uh, I'm glad that that's <laughs> a good lead-in, right? <laughs> yes. Well, so I decided that I would I would continue sharing enchanting moments from my pilgrimage, even though that's um, you know didn't happen in this past week. Now it's been uh, it's been more than a week, but I'm still reflecting on the experience. I'm still writing about it and. I, I'm, I'm, you know, those, those lessons and the fruit of that experience will come to the forefront over time. I think it's hard to really make sense of it all in the moment because you're just taking in so much. And it's what the phenomenologists would call saturation when there's just so much to stimulate your mind and your senses and your, and your soul in the moment that it's hard to it's hard to see the whole picture. And so you've got to let a little time elapse. Uh, and then these memories start coming, coming to the forefront again, and then you can now make sense of it. So that's kind of what I've been doing these um, past few days. So an enchanting moment that I will always remember from this pilgrimage was my very last day when I went with two of my friends from the pilgrimage, um, John and Deborah, if you're listening out there, hello. And we went to the city of Rouen, which of course any, any Joan of Arc fans out there will know is where she, she experienced her martyrdom, uh, where she was imprisoned and went through the trial and then had her final martyrdom. And so we had the great fortune to be connected with a woman named Jacqueline who turned out to be a a 90 year old woman who has lived in Rouen all her life 
and knows the city through and through and has a wealth of knowledge about history and art and architecture and the church and Joan of Arc. And it was so amazing. So she took us around, Walter, for seven hours and I was getting, I was getting worn out. My feet were getting tired. My legs were hurting. And I kept suggesting like, should we sit down at a cafe? Would you like to rest and get out of the sun? And no, no, she was just, she wanted to keep going. We traversed that city backwards and forwards and crisscrossed it and hit all the um, best sites and, and even some unknown ones. And um, she was able to get us into some private parts of the cathedral, uh, you know, for, oh, a, for a very, yeah, for a, for a very special tour. So that was really amazing. I will never forget that that afternoon. And I am so grateful for her, for her knowledge, for her um, desire to share with us, you know, three American strangers, basically, that just <laughs> called her up the night before and said, hey, would you show us around? So really amazing, really enchanting. Oh, boy. I mean, that's, that's fantastic. Um, and, and I think you do have a lot that, you know, my own experiences that, um yeah, you can't absorb it. Like you said, saturation. There's yeah. just, uh, probably you'll be unpacking that mentally for a long time. Yes. Yes, indeed. And I've got to try to write about it as well, just so I can, you know, have, have a record of it that, that won't fade with time, but yes. So, well, and, and that's what, that's what I've always done in, in writing is, um, I don't know about you, but when I, think and reflect and I have, you know, good thoughts and then I don't write them down, they, they disappear. Yeah. <laughs> Remember <laughs> when I can write them down, I can start seeing the path. It's kind of like journaling, you know, you start to go back and reflect on the, the path. Yes. Thinking. Absolutely. And that's been a part of this podcast project is, is the reflection and self-reflection. And so, you know, you and I have been doing it as we go through this reading and we've been inviting our listeners to do the same thing. And, um, and I hope they will be. So we'll, we'll get to our reflective questions in just a moment, but Walter, would you open us with our prayer? Certainly. Uh, we'll do the uh, prayer of the heroic hearts in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O sacred heart of Jesus, form in us missionary hearts, hearts that burn to spread your faith, heroic hearts of the cross, wanting always and everywhere to bear witness to you. Make us ready to suffer to show our love. And like our sisters, St. Joan of Arc and St. Therese, Grant us the desire to conquer for you all the hearts of the universe. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Well, Walter, today we're going to be getting into really the um, the core of Teresa's story. Her life at, in the Carmel, in the convent, uh, her life of being a cloistered nun, in which she begins to develop her spirituality, which we know today as uh, Teresa's little way. Um, and so we're going to be talking about that, understanding what that is, what, what that was for her, um, how we can experience it in our own lives. Um, and then also we'll be talking about this concept of aridity or, or dryness in the spiritual life. And the two things, they kind of go hand in hand. It's hard to separate them. Right. Well, Therese is, um, you know, when, and first of all, we're reading the July and August chapters of Heather King's book, um, Yes. Shirt, of, shirt of flame and they're they're all fantastic chapters it's such a good book I, I i particularly am attracted to these two chapters in july and august and i think it's because of what you said that we're we're into what people typically oftentimes 
or are most familiar with St. Therese, which is the little way of St. Therese and the discussion of her prayer life. And so it, they're particularly poignant uh, ch chapters. And in July, you know, Heather opens up talking about the um, uh, Therese's uh, little, little way and, and the way of, of, of penance. And so what I'd like to do is just start, if it's okay, with a quote. Now, this is from Therese. So this is in Heather's book, but she's quoting she's quoting St. Therese. Now, before, before you share that quote, um, your reflective question has to do with yes. Therese's little way. Would you share that with us? Yes. Well, uh, one of the things I'd like the listener to do is it's a pretty kind of a straightforward question is to think about how do you or could you apply Therese's little way in your own life? And that's, that's really, that's kind of a, a big question because she, she's so, she's so well known and influential there. Do you apply her, her little way in your life or could you apply it? So I'd like to ask the listeners to think about that. Yeah. I, I know for myself, even though St. Therese has been my patron saint for over 20 years now, I have sometimes considered her little way too little for me <laughs> because I want to do, I want to make the bold gesture. I want to be heroic in a grand sense. And the reality is um, that I, I usually fail at that and it's hard enough to do the little way. So, well, it, it, it is. And so it's, uh, it's really interesting. And that's, that's exciting what you just said, because don't forget what we've been talking about with Therese. Um, and I'm so glad you brought that up because remember her desire now, I think this, I think the real secret behind Therese is her little way, which we'll talk about, but she had big desires. Mm -hmm. And so her, her heart and her desires were just coming out of her, but she was not able to satisfy. Remember those, those, uh, unresolved, uh, uh tensions we talked yes, about last time. Yes. And that was the penitential way for her. It was this extreme desire of, of love, but it was, she was unable to, she was unable to go on crusade. She was unable to go on the missions. She was unable to do all that, but she had such an intense desire, which actually was a desire of love, uh, that, that was, was painful to her because of her, of, of desire. And, and I'll, I'll mention this real quickly because, uh, Josie and I were listening just, just last night to a dialogue just to divert it for a second to St. Catherine of Siena. And it was a dialogue of St. Catherine of Siena where the Lord was telling her this exact thing, that, that it's not the pain of the penance. It's not the actual pain that really is the sacrifice. It's doing it with love. Oh, wow. it's, it's the sacrifice. It's the pain made in love. That's why the Lord was telling St. Catherine of Siena that just bringing pain on yourself doesn't really, really, you know, accomplish without love, like St. Paul said, you know, without love, uh, I can't quote the exact scripture, but you know, I can do all these things. I can throw my body to the fire, but without love, it's all worth nothing. So bearing that in mind, let's look back at St. Therese, because you just re you reminded me of that when you said that she had this intense desire. So her little way, Amy, was actually a way of a big way of the sacrifice of love. And, and, and that was her, her, didn't she write the yeah. oblation to merciful love? And now we can start to understand that a little bit better was that she had a little way, but a 
big heart and a big love for God. And that was a sacrifice in and of itself. Wow. It's, it's truly extraordinary. Now, were you going to share a quote with us? Sure. sure. So, so uh, in the, in the beginning of the July section, so Heather quotes St. Therese and St. Therese says, when I say mortified, this is not to make you believe that I was always doing penances. Alas, I never did a single one. My mortifications consisted in breaking my will, which was always ready to impose itself in holding my tongue instead of answering back in doing little things for others without hoping to get anything in return in not slumping back when I was sitting down, et cetera, and et cetera. So she, what she did was her little way basically was to take her life as the Lord gave it to her and to break, break her will such that she's always doing or working or striving to do the virtuous thing when uh, th- that alone is hard enough, right? It's like just, if I could just do the virtuous thing, uh, but I don't always want to do the virtuous thing because I like to talk back to people when they say things. And I like to, uh, I like to make sure that uh, my, my dignity and pride is protected when somebody uh, puts it down. So, you know, my tendency, I think like most of us, is to not do the, the virtuous thing. And so her battle was to do the virtuous thing, not to talk back not to try to defend herself when it was not necessary for her to do so. Yeah, that that quote struck me um, pretty profoundly too, because I think we do have the impression of these holy saints, especially these cloistered um, religious, as just living this severe, austere life of penance. And then when we think of that, we think, well, I could never do that. And then it's almost a self-defeating thought. So then I'm like, well, you know, I, I can't do that. So I'm not even going to try. But the reality is, is just what you said. Can we hold back our tongue? Can we show somebody else um, deference or generosity in the moment when we're, you know, feeling uncharitable? Can we forgive somebody, you know, like the, it's, those are things that we can do. And that's maybe the real kind of penance that we should be focusing on. Well, I think that's another tremendous uh, insight, Amy. Think, think about what, you know, when I look back at what you just said, think about Therese, how she's now sharing uh, the little way with us regular folk outside the convent, because you're exactly right. If she wrote, if she wrote a book and it was about, uh, she wrote an autobiography and it was about, here's what we do in the convent. And then in the convent, we do this. And then at certain hours we do this. And at certain hours we do this, we would all go, wow, that's the life in the convent. Of course, I don't live in a convent. Mm-hmm. Uh, I live out in, in, in the, uh, sec, you know, the secular world. So that doesn't really apply to me. You know, that mm-hmm. doesn't apply to me, but listen to what Therese is saying. She's talking about things that apply to every one of us. So in a certain sense, when we read Therese, we're, we're no longer excused. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're no longer excused from doing our penances because Therese is talking about things that are for, yeah. for all of us. Like you just said, not speaking back, not, uh, not um, trying to protect my, my reputation when you said right. something about me. And those are things that all of us can, can and, and should be doing. I don't remember if it was this chapter, July or August, in which Heather King talks about church as being really the place where sometimes we can um, perform those penances or or that they're demanded of us because, and this relates to the story um, that probably many of us know about St. Therese, where she was so annoyed by the nun behind her that was like (laughs) clicking the rosary against her teeth. And it was like, it took all of her 
all of her spiritual and emotional strength to just not turn around and snap at the woman. You know, how many times have we experienced that in church where you're trying to pray and the, you know, somebody in the pew behind you is talking, you know, or the music is bad or the church architecture, you know, like there's so many, I am so challenged every week in church at mass to be, to be charitable and to practice these little penances. You know, when you, when you see somebody um, that's inappropriately attired and, or, you know, just. Well, oh, I well, but you're you're not alone, and I don't know among the listeners may be far more advanced than we are. Yeah, but, uh, you can see I really struggle with this. No, but I, I think a lot of us do, and I know I certainly do too, because it's very easy. I think it's a great example to be somewhat judgmental and and everything, and and I'm that way too. I can look at people and say and and judge uh, judge their attire, you know, and unless I want to dress like that when I go to church. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> now, if I'm a little casual when I go to church, that's, everyone should understand that. But when other people are, right. uh, that's, that's a problem. And th- those are those human tendencies that, and I think that's what Therese is saying is Amy, if, if we can just overcome that, if, if we can just overcome those yes. little yes. things, yes, then we're on the path to sanctity. So she's, so t- Therese is basically saying, no, you're no longer excused. Don't try to say that this is just what we do in the convent mm-hmm. and that you don't have to do it. I'm going to show you a way. I'm going to show you a little way that you all can participate in. It doesn't require a, 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 a monk's hours mm-hmm. or something like that. And so that's the beauty of her little way is she, she brings it out to, uh, she brings it out to all of us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you, you had another quote here. Therese understood that suffering would draw her closer to Christ, in other words, but she didn't look for extra suffering. She took advantage of what came given her life situation or given her living situation and her station in life. Well, you know, that's, um, you know, one thing I, I think we probably would stress and, and, and I would imagine that I'm, I'm thinking Therese would agree is I don't think she's saying or anybody is saying that you shouldn't be doing, you mm-hmm. know, other penances or, or extra yeah. things. And I don't think there's anything about her that would, that would, that would say that. But I think what she's saying is that she found plenty of penances. Yeah. And it's her, it's her, that, that's her brilliance though, because think about the people who were working to do great penances, but didn't really understand what Therese was saying. And Therese was saying, I'm doing penances all the time. I'm in a constant state of doing penances because I'm having to break my will. I'm having to not react to the nun behind me who's chattering with her, with her rosary beads. Yeah. Yeah. Little things like, or splattering. The other famous one is when they're, they were doing the laundry and she would keep getting the dirty water. (laughs) Now you, you you know, I don't know about you, but most of us would just be, you know, or I might not say anything rude, but I'll make a gesture to make sure they know. Oh yes. That, that, you know, that really bothered me. I know. I yeah. know, but, but she, but see the way of perfection, it's, that's kind of interesting. The way of perfection. So picture that we're doing the laundry, like in the old days and the splashing the water. And so, you know, my way would be to, of course, make some gesture to show that I've been, uh, inconvenienced. And then when they apologize is to tell them not, but don't worry about it. Don't worry. About it. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> right. Because I'm, you know, in, my, humble, my humble charity. You know, so that, that's, you know, so many of us are that way. That's so typical yeah. and so human. Oh, yeah. What Therese meant by perfection, which she, which she practiced, uh, at least when you listen to the nuns and her sisters and the nuns that lived with her, that she lived, is the perfection of that is to not reflect anything 
about that. Mm-hmm. Do not make that gesture. Mm-hmm. Do not try to um, underhandedly show that you've been inconvenienced. That is really hard. Like to really let them off the yeah. hook. like I'm really not going to even indicate that you inconvenienced me by splashing water. And, uh, that's, that's really, that sounds so simple. Mm -hmm. If it's so simple, why is it so hard for us to do? You know, when I was on pilgrimage, um, we, we stayed at a couple of different monasteries and one Benedictine monastery that we stayed at, um, run by sisters, we, we had an opportunity to talk to one of the sisters about her life in, in that community. And it was really interesting because you do see how when um, when you're living in that kind of community, as we've said before, and you can't leave and you're, you know, you're living day in and day out with these same people, you're really it's it really is working on your um, on your virtue. (laughs) And you quickly you quickly see the areas that you're lacking in. But one of the things she said that helps them is that they have this practice of public confession. And so once a week they gather as a community and that's when you get to say to somebody, um, you know, I, I'm sorry, I'm sorry that I broke the example that was given is because they own everything in, in, um, community uh, together. If you break something, if you break a a glass or, or a plate, you, you know, you apologize to the community because you've, you've taken something from them. And sometimes it's more than that. You know, sometimes it, it, um, there's a real conflict between two sisters um, and, but it's the opportunity to be forgiven. And so you, you offer your sincere contrition and then that other person that you've offended has the opportunity to forgive you. Now, sometimes they're not there yet. Mm -hmm. And I think this is important because, you know, we, 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 we operate on different timelines. And so somebody may not be ready to forgive you, but what will happen is that in the coming days, when, when that, that real forgiveness has happened, that that nun will do some sort of kindness to the other. And that, that lets them know like the peace has been restored. That's and I, beautiful. Yeah. I really love, I, I really love that. I, I, I don't know whether something like that would work in our own lives or in our families, perhaps it could, but just really being intentional about, um, about showing, showing our sorrow, our contrition when we've offended somebody and then having that opportunity to really um, give forgiveness. Well, I, I think that for, um, you know, we're, uh, those, those of us who are married, uh, you know, marriage is a, is a bit of a living in a convent yes, kind yes. of a thing. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, we, that, that happens. And I mean, it, and it's so, it's, it's interesting because a lot of times it, it, it certainly takes both of us. So if Josie says something, my, my unfortunately, my temperament not being perfect uh, in the way of perfection, <laughs> sometimes I will have a tendency to make a quick answer that's negative or or doesn't really strike right. It, maybe it lacks a little bit of charity, and then within a few minutes after I think about it, I'll say, "You know, it's a really good idea you had," <laughs> you <know? laughs> but I couldn't help making some sort of a short, maybe negative response in the beginning. And so, much like the sisters or the brothers and the monks living together, even you, when you're with your spouse. You know, your uh, as as it's been noted by other people, your hair shirt may be sitting next to you in yes. church. <laughs> <laughs> your 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 path of and I know definitely uh, poor Josie's a martyr. You know, she's definitely got a hair shirt. With me. But uh, yes, it's 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 uh, true that that yeah. that's that that is her way. But she Therese, 
she, the, I think the perfection in, in Therese, and I'm sure she had her little mistakes now and then, but her perfection was in seeing other people um, in, in a positive light. So you reminded me of something, and I think to me this might be another level of perfection, of, of virtue, that only through a life of prayer and grace can we attain, and St. Therese can intercede for us and, and help us with that. Is See, another problem, too, is, okay, Amy, let's say that we reach out and we do that forgiveness. We do all those right things. And we're so proud of the fact that we look at me, you're supposed to forgive. And, and uh, I did everything you're supposed to do. And I feel, and you have that secret pride that's hanging back there. Now, what happens when you have that secret pride? And you mentioned that somebody else may not be there. And of course, this this could be like this, I'm making this confession where everybody sees how Walter really is. But have you ever had those moments when you could sense that maybe I'm trying to respond the right way, but they're not trying to respond the right way. And I succeed, but I feel, uh, I, I, I kind of have a sense of condescension, condescension toward them, like, or a sense that somehow they're not up to my, my speed. May not say it, but it's hidden in the background. And what Therese, what Therese did was she even, she could even spot that that was an imperfection mm -hmm. to somehow think that I'm being virtuous. And I know that other person, you know, does not seem to be, she's grumpy. She's everything. Therese could even see that that was an imperfection. And she would reach, she would say, Oh, that, that sister, she really loves me. You know, like, I know she loves me. She's, she would always look at them and see them in an elevated standpoint. Yeah. She, she, she did, you know, what many of the saints and, you know, said to do, which is, you know, see others as better than yourself. You, you want to give other people the benefit of the doubt and be, be a little more critical of, of your own shortcomings, you know, right. it, it's, which is the opposite of what we usually do. Right. Well, yeah, that's, that's, that's exactly it because our natural tendency, again, my own natural tendency, if I'm not careful is to pass a judgment yeah. on that other yeah. person. And I think it's so typical of us to do that. And Therese could recognize that that was an imperfection. And so she was practicing virtue and penance and everything, including not letting the grumpy sister uh, be, be seen in her own mind as less than her. Yes. That, that she gave every benefit of the doubt to the per to the person because to do otherwise would be an, so boy that's really seems to me like trying to move toward that perfect charity right and and, and how far like, <laughs> how we're far talking about we're talking about Therese's yeah. little way and it's little and it's but it doesn't sound very easy to me the more we talk about it <laughs> yeah i'll admit that you know there are sometimes people that i just cannot see my way to love you know they just rub me the wrong way i i don't understand them and in those moments about the best I can do. And, and I, you know, I pray about this, I, I'm working on it, but the best I can do in those moments is to say, you know what though, but Jesus loves them. Love Jesus it. sees something in this person that I clearly can't see because of my own blindness, my own hardness of heart, Jesus loves them. And so can I, can I love them for the sake, you know, that Jesus loves them? And yeah. And I, I think it was, um, uh, Thomas Aquinas, St. Thomas Aquinas, that's, you know, defined, uh, love as really desiring the good for the other person. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. we can, we can desire the good for the person, even if we don't, um, because, you know, Therese's, uh, as we'll talk about, you know, we look at the, the next chapter on, on aridity and prayer, 
that Heather wrote about was she certainly did not always feel sentimental uh, love. So I have a hard time imagining that with some of the irritating nuns that were there that, you know, Heather says, you know, it's kind of like a little bit of a neurotic group there, yeah. uh, you know, with some pretty, you know, some pretty hard to get along with people. I find it hard to believe that Therese always felt a sentimental affection all the time because we just, we just don't, but she always desired the good for the other. So take, for example, the, uh, one of the things that comes out in, uh, maybe it was in even the last one we did in, in Heather's books, but the story where Therese would take the elderly nun to prayers every, every day. And this nun was, as I recall reading St. Therese, this nun was not very easy to get along with. So, I think Heather called her a crab apple. <laughs> right. She was a, a crab apple. She was not the one, no, she was not the one that you're pushing. And she says, oh, thank you, dear. You're so sweet. It was the opposite. She's complaining. She's griping. You hit a bump. And why didn't you turn over here? And she's making life miserable. And, but Therese made a point to do that. Now, I'm imagining that Therese did not feel a lot of uh, heartwarming sentiment when that happened, but what she did do was desire the good. And so how did she, how did she desire the good for this nun was to actually go and do it, like, like take action. So this isn't just contemplative. We don't do action. All we do is think lovely thoughts. This is, she took action to go. I will go. I will put you in there and I will, um, I will take care of you. Yeah. And I think that's such a great lesson because it does show us that feelings are, you know, feelings are actually overrated in our society. The feelings there, it's not that they're not important, but they're not everything. And so just because you don't feel, um, you, you don't feel like this, this great, sentimentality or affection towards a certain person, you can, as you said, will their good and you can will their good by contributing to it. Yeah, that's, and I think that's exactly what, uh, what Therese did. And, and, you know, she carried that over when, when you look at the uh, next chapter and you look at the chapter on, on aridity, yeah. which is kind of the second, uh, the, the second piece of this thing, because her little way, she, you know, Therese is known for her little way, but she's also known for her her prayer we talk about uh so much the the way she prayed and the way that trez taught us to pray and so she you know one of the aspects about her her prayer was that she she spoke directly to god she you know it was just a simple prayer it was a i think you know she she mentioned it as just a lifting of her heart that a lot of times prayer for me is just a lifting of my heart to god and so if you if you think about it she's teaching us really the same thing in, in both the side of justice with penance and the side of love with, with, uh, with prayer. She's teaching us the same thing that it's, it can be done. It's, 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 it can be done in the simplicity of our lives that it, it doesn't have to be, our prayer doesn't have to be magnanimous all the time. And our penances don't have to be magnanimous all the time. We can do it in our everyday ordinary life. And, you know, one thing I one thing I forgot to mention that I was going to was in in the uh, the July section about the little way and the way of penances uh, was the fact that that what was over one thing overshadowing uh, uh, France at that time in the convents was the aftermath of the Jansenist uh, heresy 
And for those who aren't familiar, the Jansenist heresy was, if you're familiar with St. Louis de Montfort, the great preacher of Our Lady. Yes. And, uh, yes, I'm consecrated to Our Lady through his uh, his formula. And I think you are too. And yes. so, uh, but that he was there maybe a generation or two prior to Therese. And Jansenism particularly swept through France and in that section of France. And it, not to go into, you know, the whole thing, but it was a kind of a complicated uh, a heretical movement. But what they stressed was this rigorous penance that you cannot you cannot approach the eucharist unless you have been through this process of rigorous penance you must be purified you must be mm -hmm. pure you know in order to go and yes we know you can't be in a state of mortal sin to go mm -hmm. to the and, and to approach the eucharist we know that but we come to him as long as we're not in a state of mortal sin or have mortal sin on our conscience we approach the lord in the eucharist in a state of, of asking mercy and we know that our venial sins are wiped wiped away, uh, and so. Uh, but but their their view was no, only the very pure. So you must go through this lengthy period of penances, and then finally you can earn your way to the to the Eucharist. So Saint Louis de Montfort fought that, you know, for a long time. But that there was an aftermath, and I've I've read where the the Carmel that Therese was in at that time that there was still a little bit of an aftermath of that this sense that you know don't get too familiar with God because this is we need to be we need to be on our knees uh, whipping ourselves and you know, I'm exaggerating a little bit so we have to also bear in mind that when Therese comes to us with finding penances in everyday life and and she said I didn't do a single you know major penance. Or when then in the in the chapter on prayer, when she talks about just praying and being familiar with Jesus, she was Jesus was her friend. Jesus was her spouse. Jesus was that it to me, it kind of helps to look at the background and say that she's also pointing the way for the rest of the community that in a certain way, I sometimes wonder if Therese didn't help finish the work St. Louis de Montfort started. Mm. In, in trying to get us centered back in merciful love and, and and sort of away from this sort of Jansenist, dark, pessimistic, uh, you know, attitude. That right, was out there. right. Now, didn't she, though, um, didn't she conform in obedience to her mother superior um, as regards to how often she could receive the Eucharist? Because oh. I, I do believe she wanted to be a daily communicant, but oh, that yeah. might have oh, been. Yeah, absolutely. She did. Absolutely. She was obedient. She did not uh, partake of the Eucharist as much as she wanted to because of the obedience. And and I, I you know, I think that's that's part part of it, because, uh, again, I don't have a reference to the book. I wish I did. But there was a certain book where I read that talked about that um, and and or made made mention of that. So I'm extrapolating a little bit. This is kind of Walter's own, own thinking. But the idea that they would be restricting the amount, the, the, the time you can go to the Eucharist might be part of that hangover. Mm, right. A little bit right. of that dancing. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's Walter speaking. And, you know, I, I could be wrong. But yes, but she was obedient. Yeah. To, and I think that's instructive because even though she had a greater sense of freedom about that um, and, and, and receiving the Eucharist, but, but she still she still was obedient. Oh, yeah. She would not be disobedient. Yeah. She would not let her personal spiritual, yeah. personal spirituality override the obedience that was due 
uh, properly according to the authority of the church. She wouldn't allow that to happen. But, uh, but fortunately, because she was instructed to write her autobiography, we know how she felt about mm-hmm. yeah. it. Yeah. Otherwise, we might not have. So, so my, my, my point was that there's sort of a backdrop to this. And Therese was really more than just being this young girl that comes in and, and has a certain way. I, I always see a certain uh, movement of the Holy Spirit of the Lord beyond even, even just that, mm-hmm. uh, that, that, that it was part of maybe a, ful- a fulfilling of the mission of the church. Mm-hmm. So she wanted to be a missionary. So she did help to fulfill the yeah. mission of the church by helping to bring them out of that pessimistic, yeah. you know, uh, 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 or the tendency or hangover that that part of the, of France was suffering through. Yeah. It was a spiritual corrective. Yeah. Yes. And and so her prayers, her prayer life was, was, you know, was wonderful. And she, um, there's a quote here. Now this is, uh, this is Heather speaking. Uh, and Heather says, Therese's approach to prayer was simple. Talk to God directly. She seemed to be saying he's interested in you. He loves you like a father. Tell him your troubles ask him for what you want. And above all, try not to overthink. <laughs> I love that last part. <laughs> yeah. And that's easy to do is, yes. to, is to overthink. And so I, one of the, I wanted to mention too, there's one thing that, that I thought, I really like the way Heather uh, put it with regard to Therese's uh, prayer life. And she said that, um, she was, uh, I don't have the quote written here, but in her, in the chapter, she said that she, she did, she would sit and do something that she didn't really know what it was. And she didn't even know if it was prayer. Yes. But when she emerged from it. Yes. When Heather emerged from this feel this, this contemplation that she was in. Yeah. It was that she would. And, and I thought that that reminded me because it's, it's a form of prayer. And I love the way Heather put that, that she said, well, I, sometimes I'm just looking at the sunlight on the wall. I don't really know what it is. I don't even know if I'm praying, but something happens and I emerge out of it and I'm a different person. And it reminds me of the story in, in, um, in Teresa's life where she, you know, she referenced the fact that when she was young, she would, you know, be by herself and, you know, mm-hmm. her parents would say, well, what are you doing? I'm just sitting here thinking. And so obviously that was the beginning of a, of a contemplative life. Right. For her. right. I think she would go and hide behind her bed or there was like a little space where she would just sit for hours right. and, think, yes. <laughs> and just, and just, just think. And, uh, so, uh, Teresa's prayer life was now, of course, and, and, you know, you mentioned obedience, you know, certainly Therese participated in all the prayers. She participated in the, the official prayer, uh, of the convent. So she did all of the necessary required, uh, you know, liturgical prayers. So it's it's not like she was just off on her own doing this. Mm-hmm. She was part of the community and did the community, but she had her own, you know, contemplative life in which she had a great familiarity with our Lord. And she was trying to tell us that, that Jesus wants to be, wants us on a familiar basis uh, with him, you know, yeah, within and- I think that idea helps us to make more sense out of the scripture that tells us to pray without ceasing, you know, because if if you had, if prayer always had to be formal and liturgical, well, you just, you know, those of us who, who are not living in a convent couldn't do it. 
And even people who do live right. in a monastic life can't always be praying liturgically. So just opening, raising our hearts to God, maybe maybe having just an orientation, a posture of gratitude towards him as we go about our day. Yeah, and I think even the, when we when we do do that and we have that familiarity with the Lord, that our relationship actually leads us to honor the liturgical. Mm-hmm. Because when we when we love the Lord, we love His Church. We love what He He said. You know, do what I command you. So we want to do what He commands us to do. So we want to follow His liturgical practices. Mm-hmm. We yes. want to follow the prayers of the liturgy that that are laid out for us. So it's it's not like they are a conflict or that they're two different things. They really complement each other. Absolutely. The liturgy and the liturgical and going to mass makes us draws us closer to where we, we want a closer relationship with the Lord. And as we get that closer relationship and familiarity in the Therese way of contemplation, that makes us want to honor him more when we go to the liturgy and and to the mass, because it's not two different Jesuses. <laughs> it's it's yeah. it's one Jesus. Yeah. Certainly. Now, there's there's one more aspect, though, of her prayer life that we need to discuss, and that is that for all of her familiarity with with Jesus and her frequent um, liturgical life, uh, lit- like prayer life, she didn't experience consolation from it in, in the way we were just talking about feelings, you know, good feelings. Yeah, there's, and that's that's great because that's kind of where this section of readings in Heather's book sort of ends or leads to is this notion that uh, we mentioned it last time that for all that Therese wrote about, the, the, um, the, sort of uh, glory and and thinking of the kingdom that she wasn't really experiencing that in her life and that this is very common with the the saints is this you know the dark night of the soul the facing the dark night where saint john of the cross her father in the carmelite uh, spiritual world said you know that that it's a necessary thing that that we don't always have these wonderful feelings because when we have these wonderful feelings that's that's we're not really making much of a sacrifice. No, no, we're just pleasing ourselves. Yeah, this is, wow, I want to pray because this is fun and and it makes me feel good and all that. And so, you know, when you read St. John of the Cross, he talks about, well, that's that's not so much you being holy as much as the Lord drawing you in, like the Lord saying, please, I, I want you to, to pray. And the real masters of the faith, and Therese was certainly certainly one of them, prayed in states of aridity where there was there were no feelings and Therese went through that at the end of her life and particularly in the last stages of her life it was very much a dark night and and I think she'd even asked one of the sisters like is this is this the dark night and she said yeah yes because she felt uh, nothing she felt no consolation so what did she go on and Saint John of the Cross uh, talks about this is what do you go on is pure faith yeah. So what's she exhibiting? She's exhibiting perfectly the virtue of faith because she's not getting, you know, um, I enjoy getting up and having my coffee and praying because uh, I love the Lord and I love our lady, but I also get kind of relaxed doing that. Mm-hmm. I kind of I get something out of that. Yeah. And that, that in a certain way is an imperfection against uh, faith. Not that that's bad, but I mean that mm-hmm. it doesn't exhibit perfect faith. Mm-hmm. And so she exhibited perfect faith in the face. And then the other thing I'd mentioned too, uh, Amy, and this ties in her, her little way of penances where we can tie her, the, her prayer with her little way is what did she do in pure Theresian fashion? 
she offered that. It wasn't that she just white knuckled it and said, I'm just going to go up your faith, which I'm sure there was a certain amount of that, but she offered that because she was so geared toward offering her day-to-day sufferings for others. Her natural tendency was to say, she, she was at a point where she just said, I don't know how, she said, I don't know how anyone, I'm paraphrasing, but I don't know how anyone who doesn't believe could survive this mm-hmm. and, and because she was literally feeling so dark and I mean, so, so barren, so barren that she said, I don't see how anybody could bear this. And so what did she do? She offered that aridity for people who don't believe Wow! and for, so she found a way to offer that for people who don't believe for people, for people who are struggling and thinking maybe this is the, you know, this is the end. I don't know if I can go on. She offered all that as a sacrifice. Wow. And, and that's just, that's the beautiful doctrine of redemptive suffering that even, even our worst experiences and our greatest pains can be offered up um, for the good of, of others. Yeah. So. Well, true. And I, and I know we're, we're, we're going to be running out of time here, but there was one other thing that I, I wanted to mention about the, I think the beauty of what Heather had written well, there were, there were a couple of things. One was I had, a, I had to chuckle because I had, I could identify with perfectly was Heather said, uh, this is Heather's talking. She said, I sometimes came to consciousness in the morning to find myself in the midst of an imaginary argument <laughs> with an unseen, with an unseen adversary. I seemed to be subconsciously justifying or defending myself against whom or what I wasn't sure. And I, I, I've, I've had that experience where you just wake up and you're thinking and you don't, you don't even know like why you're sort of arguing about something uh, in your head. So we can see a little bit of the hu- humanity in, in Heather's side as well. And uh, then the final thing was that she uh, was the section where she said, I, I saw how the cloister of Koreatown had connected me to all the suffering and people. Wow. So I think it's important for the listeners to know that, that, you know, Heather King uh, as the time of the writing lived in uh I guess LA, right? So yes. Los Angeles and Koreatown. And so very busy, very big city, very busy, very noisy. And that Heather found a way to to look at where she was there as her own cloister. And I think that ties in what we've been talking about today, Amy, which is Therese is in the cloister and she she gives us something that all of us can do. And Heather is talking about doing it and when you do it, where you are becomes your cloister. Yes. She could find a cloister in Korea, walking through the streets of Koreatown. And if she can do that, following Therese's little way, then we, you know, we certainly have no excuse. Absolutely. And on that note, we'll, we'll draw it to a close. Um, I will share one reflective question to leave our listeners with. And that is, when have you felt aridity or emptiness in your spiritual life? And what was that experience like? And hopefully now that we've we've looked at Trez's experience, we can actually find some meaning and some redemption in, in those periods of dryness that Perfect. we've all suffered through. So for next episode, we will be reading chapters nine and 10 from Heather King's book, Shirt of Flame, A Year with St. Trez of Lisieux. And that comprises September and October of that retreat year uh, in Heather's life. And um, I will close with a prayer from, from her book. And this is from chapter eight. In the name of the Father and Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Oh God, have mercy on us. Show us how to love each other. I don't know how to love. 
I can't separate my pain from self-pity, dishonesty, selfishness. I don't know how to turn my will and my life over to your care. Sometimes I can't feel you anywhere, not in solitude, not when I'm with people. Sometimes I feel like any move I make is wrong. Sometimes I feel as if I'm invisible and that no one sees or cares about the good I try to do. Sometimes I feel like I'm going to be alone all my life. Sometimes I don't trust anyone, and maybe you, dear God, least of all. Amen. Wow. <laughs> that, that shows us how to really just talk to God from our well, heart. That's one of the things I just so love about Heather's book is she has such an authenticity and says what we all know in our hearts. She yes. speaks deeply to the heart. So she certainly does. Well, Walter, I want to wish you and our listeners a wonderful week until we get back here together again. Great. Look forward to it. Talk to you later. Take care. Bye. Bye. We'll sign off for now. Thanks for listening. If you want to discover enchantment and adventure with St. Joan and St. Therese, please subscribe to our podcast and follow us at Heroic dash hearts.com